Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt will take their NCAA case to a committee on infractions hearing later this month in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer with Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Guys, we want to touch on the spring game a little bit later on in the episode. Of course, that will be played Saturday at Neyland Stadium. But really, the the big news of the last week or so uh, was the development that Adam reported on over at KnoxNews.com last week that uh, the Vols have not reached a negotiated resolution with the NCAA. Uh, A negotiated resolution would have been the equivalent of, let's say, like a plea deal. Uh, Tennessee was not able to, to reach that with the NCAA. That means that they will take their case in front of the Committee on Infractions. And of course, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, who is facing a, a litany of, of NCA allegations, will be there to argue his case as well. So let's dive into it, guys. First off, Adam, um, just sort of set the stage for us, kind of what to expect uh, at this, uh, this committee meeting in Cincinnati, which will begin on April 19th. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, there are a lot of analogies that we can make. And you just made one of them of comparing this to a a courtroom. Um, One of the major differences, I would say, is that there's more than one side to this. So it's not the NCAA versus Tennessee. It's the NCAA versus Tennessee, the NCAA versus Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, Derek Ainsley, the the assistant coach, is also in this. But I'm not even sure he's actually going to attend the hearing. Um, he's in the NFL and I don't think cares too much about this, but then there's Jeremy Pruitt versus Tennessee and vice versa. And so there are a lot of different, um, there's, there's more than just two sides to this. Um, I think it's interesting of the strategies of, of these sides going in because I, and I think we've maybe talked about this in the pod before is that Tennessee strategy from where I see it is, is pretty similar to Jeremy Pruitt's strategy. Um, you know, Jeremy Pruitt is going to come in and basically make his case that all these violations occurred at least one step beneath him, that his subordinates committed these these violations. And by the way, they've already admitted to, to some of them because uh, multiple staff members of his have already accepted show cause penalties. So they're 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 done. Um, so wrongdoing occurred, Jeremy Pruitt's strategy to some extent will, will be to say, I had no knowledge of this. This occurred underneath me. I didn't know about it. Tennessee strategy is really just sort of the same thing on a different level, though. Their strategy will be that everything happened at Jeremy Pruitt's level and then also beneath him, but no higher than that. Um, because anything higher than that would be athletic director Philip Fulmer or any other associate ADs, or just the administration in general, the university. And if if any knowledge of wrongdoing occurred above Jeremy Pruitt, then uh, then the university is on the hook. And uh, you know, right now, right now Tennessee is facing a failure to monitor violation. Um, that's a lesser charge than a lack of institutional control, which is the big one. Tennessee d- did not get that allegation, at least not yet. Um, so they th- their charge was downgraded to failure to monitor. If Jeremy Pruitt somehow showed that there were more egregious things that the university knew of, that could be upped maybe to a different allegation. But right now it's failure to monitor, and Tennessee wants to get that off uh, off of it. Um, they want to say this is 100% on Jeremy Pruitt. We shouldn't 
face any penalties at all um, as far as the university goes. There are 18 level one violations, 17 are on Pruitt and his staff. The one failure to monitor is on the university. So both of them are going to come in there and say, everybody below it, below me knew it, but I didn't. Uh, it's just a matter of which level you're talking about. I'm always amused when coaches uh, know nothing, absolutely nothing about what their assistants are doing. Is all is as though these assistants just on their own decided, man, I'm going out and get some players. I'm not going to mention this to the head coach. I'm just going out there and getting me some look good. Maybe I'll get uh, maybe I'll get national recruiter of the year by 24/7 Sports. Uh, Mr. Niedemeyer got that, I think. Uh, so there is something to be gained, but I mean, to not know what you, any of your assistants are doing, you'd pretty much have to be deaf, dumb, and blind there. And nobody's ever said, uh, Jeremy Pruitt's deaf or blind. Well, but you could, some could make the same claim about the athletic director, John, right? Yes. Yeah. Philip Fulmer was omnipresent around Jeremy Pruitt's football program. And according to Tennessee, he was none the wiser that any of this was going on. And not only that, Tennessee has said that he shouldn't have been expected to know that this was going on. Well, I think you can look at the notice of allegations um, and say that the, the NCAA maybe has not gone for that idea. Uh, as Adam pointed out, it's not the lack of institutional control, but there is a level one failure to monitor charge that the NCAA has labeled as, quote, substantial and said that Tennessee's failure to monitor has, quote, seriously undermined or threatened the integrity of college sports for however much integrity remains in college sports. That's open to debate. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and, 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 and Blake, let me explain this real quick. The lack of institutional control, some people get uh, sort of put these two together as if they're the same thing. Lack of institutional control, the the higher charge, the the uh, the more egregious charge, which Tennessee is not facing, that essentially means you didn't have rules in place. You didn't have structure or personnel in place. You didn't have training in place. You guys weren't even trying to make sure that you're following the rules. That's a lack of institutional control. A failure to monitor the lesser charge, which is Tennessee is facing, is that, yeah, you had a lot of those things in place, but you were, you know, you didn't follow through on all of them. I mean, for Tennessee side of it, I think they're making the case that, look, we had all these things in, in place. We knew nothing about this. And then after the fact, once we knew there was wrongdoing, we led the charge to turn in everybody that was was guilty of something. Um, I think the reason the NCAA has not dropped that violation is just the sheer number of level one violations. If you're if you had everything in place and you were doing everything that you could to make sure that your guys were following the rules, why were there 17 level one violations? I think it's just the sheer number of violations that were committed is why the NCAA is not letting this failure to monitor go. And on the flip side of that, I think Tennessee's cooperation is why they're not facing institution, a lack of institutional control. I, I think it's for the NCAA. I think it's a little bit of a negotiation where they're saying we're downgrading this and giving you the lesser charge. Tennessee is saying, Maybe we committed the lesser charge at most, but th- our cooperation should downgrade it to nothing. I think that's the that's the why why we haven't gotten to a negotiated resolution and why this on Tennessee's side is headed to a hearing. Adam, uh, 
who will be there from Tennessee, do you think, representing the university? Uh, some attorneys, some uh, some admin, uh, in-house attorney, uh, the attorneys that are were hired to to fight this, which their legal fees are somewhere around two million dollars at this point. Um, I, I'll be curious to see if Danny White is there part of the time, all of the time. I mean, Tennessee has the uh, big orange caravan going on at the same time, which is not great timing. That was announced before the date of the hearings were announced. So Danny White has been advertised as one of the guys that will be uh, on hand to meet and greet fans and do Q&A and all that in Memphis, Nashville, and Knoxville uh during all this and so i guess he's got a decision to make if it were me and i were him i would be in cincinnati um it is especially especially if uh jeremy pruitt starts to lob some grenades at uh, at the university he at least would maybe want to be in the room to not danny white wasn't here when the alleged violations were committed uh he was hired afterward uh but you know you would want firsthand knowledge of that if and when that happened could you expand the caravan to maybe make a stop off in Cincinnati? <laughs> it's a short drive for Knoxvillians to you can go up there. Uh, late, I think late so, I think a little late. Huh? I think it's a little late, John. I'm sure if okay. they would have known ahead of time, probably uh, would have made that detour. I'm that'd sure be good. The alumni uh, base Fulmer, is any Cincinnati. chance? Any chance Philip Fulmer would uh, just stop by, maybe lend moral support and maybe you wear know his how, coaching shorts and uh, whistle? You know how sometimes a first-round pick that's not certain <laughs> that they're going to get picked will go off on a fishing boat somewhere? At least these are the stories we always get after the fact. You know, I left my phone at home, and I went off fishing, and I came back later that night, and they said the Packers picked me with a 13th pick. It didn't matter to me, you know. If I'm Phil Fulmer, I get on a fishing boat somewhere, leave my phone at home and drift off. I mean, you know, I mean, to this point, we've only seen Tennessee's side of the story, their response to the notice of allegations. We have not seen Jeremy Pruitt's. We have not seen the other assistants. They also submitted them. Uh, we did a records request to get that from the university. They refused. Th those coaches do not they're not at other universities, so you can't do a records request just of an individual in the same way that you can at a public university. So um, so we can't get exactly their full side of the story. So we don't know if there are allegations made to Phil Fulmer or other administrators in there. Um, but I mean, and we can talk about this at some point in this, Jeremy Pruitt is going to have to make a decision. If it's not going well for him, does he try to pull the university down with him, whether whether rightly or wrongly, uh, does he start to make accusations? Uh, it's a three-day process. I don't know, you know, it, I wish this was on court TV. It's not going to be, but, you know, maybe the, maybe the third day of a three-day trial, you start to say, hey, listen, let me, let me, let me tell you what they did. Uh, <laughs> so I, I could see him switching strategies at some point. I think his initial strategy will be clear my name as much as possible, try to do anything I can to avoid a show cause. But if that doesn't work, then, you know, I think he could go the, on the offensive. Yeah. I can't imagine Jeremy Pruitt going quietly into the night and anybody who's, uh, has any, any insight into his personality, I think never should have expected him to, to go quietly into the night as, as I wrote in a column recently, I would expect that at some point he's going to, uh, 
intend to blowtorch Tennessee. The question is, does he really have enough fuel that he can inflict further damage beyond what he's already done? I mean, he's already done plenty of damage. Does he does he have any aces up the sleeve that he can play uh, at this infractions committee hearing, or will it just be you know a bunch of thinly supported accusations that that he can't really prove and and um, a lot of bluster that doesn't cause much further damage to Tennessee beyond what he's already done. And of course, you know, he was fired for cause. He didn't get any of his buyout at this point. He really has nothing to lose. The NCAA has, has made it clear in that notice of allegations that unless, unless Jeremy Pruitt can, can somehow produce a great defense up there in Cincinnati, he's very likely facing a, a show cause penalty that was that was spelled out in that notice of allegations a- adam will be up there to cover it unfortunately as he said it's it's not on court tv and and unlike a court case this is not open to the the general public adam won't be having a, a front row seat uh this will be happening behind closed doors uh but you know what, what's most interesting to me guys I and mean, we could talk about jeremy pruitt and how can he get out of this um, you know, does he have any grenades he can lob at Tennessee? That to me, like, unless Pruitt pulls some sort of Houdini here, I, I don't see much realistic chance that he's going to avoid stiff penalty, that he's going to be able to avoid a show cause. The more interesting element of this to me is what could Tennessee be facing on on the backside uh, of this hearing? I mean, ideally, you know, you want to be offered you know, a little more than a slap on the wrist. You agree to it. You shake hands with the NCAA during negotiated resolution. And and you don't even get to this infractions committee hearing. You've already got your, your sanctions and the deal is done. Well, Tennessee hasn't reached a, a negotiated resolution. So that seems to indicate that they don't really like what, what they were offered or, or what they, they could be facing from the NCAA. Now we know Tennessee self-imposed some restrictions in 2021. They did not self-impose a bull ban. They did self-impose 12 scholarship reductions. Uh, It's debatable whether they would have been able to fill all the 12 of those scholarships anyway. With the coaching change, a lot of players transferred and and all that tends to go with that. They also self-imposed some other recruiting restrictions in 2021. The question is, is that going to be enough to appease the NCAA uh, you know, how concerned should they be about this this one level one failure to monitor charge? And uh, what 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 could Tennessee be facing on the other side of this? Because, like I said, I think to me, that's especially for Vols fans. That's more interested. That's what they want to know. Jeremy Pruitt, good luck to you. But I don't I don't see him uh, <laughs> getting getting off, uh, you know, acquitted of of these NCAA charges. But what do you guys think happens to Tennessee coming out of this? Well, I think we can make a reasonable assumption um, that what Tennessee has self-imposed um, was was not good enough. Otherwise, this would be it'd be over for Tennessee side. It'd be the negotiated resolution would be done. Um, so, to me, that says the NCAA at at the very least said you need to cut more scholarships. You need to make more recruiting restrictions, um, and also here's a heavy fine that you're going to have to pay. Um, there had to be some kind of threshold that the NCAA penalties went to that Tennessee said that's that's too much. We'll we'll fight this in a hearing because um, I, d- I don't think the failure to monitor necessarily just the charge itself is enough to 
take this to a hearing. If you get a, again, that's the lesser charge of the two that the university can face. If you get a, and some failure to monitors are actually level two violations, not the worst level one. So if the NCAA said, we're going to keep the failure to monitor charge on you, but you're just going to have to cut, you know, three more scholarships and a few restrictions, and here's a moderate fine. If that was the case, I think this would be settled already. Um, this, the fact that this is going to a hearing for the university side tells me the penalties were, were too stiff, or they think that the failure to monitor charge is going to automatically carry stiff penalties that they can't define quite yet. You know, is that a postseason ban? Um, we tend to think not, and we've talked about this on here, and I know it's been reported to a whole lot of places that a postseason ban would would probably be off the table. The, if you look back at the last, what, more than two years, there, there's two reasons that we think a postseason ban is not going to happen. Number one, Tennessee has said it's not, essentially. You know, Tennessee has said, hey, you know, we think we should be penalized in the manner of what these violations were, which means recruiting, scholarship cuts, recruiting restrictions, all that. That's what they self-imposed. So they've said that. Well, OK. You know, I mean, not to say Tim Tennessee is a criminal, but if if you take that analogy to that, the criminal doesn't get to say, well, I think this should be my <laughs> matter of penalty. <laughs> so so the fact that Tennessee saying it shouldn't be that means something. But it kind of also means nothing. The other reason that we think that is because the legislative process, the um, everything with the new constitution, the NCAA, and all these new rules, the new approach uh, for enforcement in the NCAA over the past few years has, has switched to um, not penalizing current athletes and coaches for what past athletes and coaches did. The new legislation said you should focus on the bad actors and not necessarily the programs as a whole. The new legislation has said, if at all possible, avoid postseason bans for current teams that didn't do those past sins. So the winds have blown the way that Tennessee would like them, which says we're, we're probably not going to do postseason bans unless it's something really, really, really egregious. Um, but we don't know that because this is sort of a, I mean, this is, one of the first big cases in this new era of NCAA enforcement. And it could go the way that all this, these new rules, this new approach says, and there won't be a postseason ban, but we don't really know. And the fact that Tennessee is taking this to a hearing at least puts some mystery into it. So the, the rumblings that I've heard around Tennessee is we, we still think we're in pretty decent shape but it's now out of our hands because we're going to a hearing. And that automatically, that unknown just makes you nervous. Uh, even without a postseason ban, I think the scholarships, how many scholarships, it's the number that could matter. They say you're going you're gonna to have cut three scholarships this year. That That's not much of a penalty. But if they said you can't you cut 10 scholarships, then that could become a factor. And uh, doesn't resonate as much as a postseason ban would with a fan base. But for a coach, the idea of losing 10 scholarships would be uh, extremely significant. As Adam said, you know, it's in that that new NCAA constitution that was uh, became effective on August 1st, uh, you know, to the greatest extent possible is the language they use in that constitution. Uh, as Adam was saying, you're not supposed to. Uh, punish current student athletes for stuff that they 
really didn't have much to do with, but we don't really know exactly what that phrase means to the greatest extent possible. That could mean different things to different people. The fact is 18 level one violations. Um, that's a lot of violations. Now, again, most of those are pinned on Jeremy Pruitt and he was fired and, and Tennessee cleaned house. And we just don't have a lot on paper for how cases are actually going to be legislated despite this new constitution, new language, you know, in a lot of ways, Tennessee's case here is is sort of a guinea pig type case. It's not the first case decided under this new constitution, but I'd say it's it's, it's the first case of this magnitude decided un, under this set of legislation. And and if we if we just let's just assume that there's no postseason ban, so then we're talking about scholarship cuts, recruiting restrictions, and a fine, um, vacated wins too. But you know, who cares if a, win is vacated from like four years ago. Um, but, but so, you know, a fine is, is that a moderate number, or a big number? And what does a big number even mean? Whatever the fine is, if there is one, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Tennessee appeals it and just, you know, says we should only pay half that number or whatever. And to I think generally to fans, fans don't really care what the number of somebody else's money, what, how, how big that fine is. Um, scholarship cuts and recruiting restrictions. So recruiting restrictions like those self-imposed by Tennessee was like um, uh, that they did not have any official visits for the season opener of the, uh, of Josh Hopple's first season, 2021. That was a self-imposed that they cut uh, Blake, you mentioned 12 scholarships. Now here's the, here's the interesting thing about the, those, those two things. There were a few other things that Tennessee did too is that because of super seniors after COVID, Tennessee did in fact cut scholarships, but they they didn't count super seniors toward their overall scholarship number. So the hit that they were taking was not as strong as what you would otherwise have. Um, and then the recruiting restrictions, like that one that I mentioned, no official visitors, that season opener uh, of the 2021 season was a Thursday game. So you really don't have many visitors on Thursday games anyway, because those those high school players are playing the next night, Friday night. They they visit on Saturdays, not Thursdays. So there was a little bit of a wink, wink to we're we're self imposing, but we're self imposing in the absolute softest way, and then we're going to sell it as if it was really, really, you know, detrimental uh, penalties that we self imposed. The NCAA understands that, and and also this is. Maybe a little bit of a side note, but you know Tennessee, if if they were to make the case that their self-imposed penalties really crippled the program and they 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 took their medicine and it was hard to take, it, it's harder to make that case and then have two seasons better than you had before the penalties. I mean, Josh Hopple went seven and six and went to the Music City Bowl, which is which is quite a feat in his first year. They were 11 and two last year and won the Orange Bowl. It was their best season in like 20 years. So I don't think the NCAA necessarily looks at uh, at box scores and records and all that that much. But if you're going to a hearing and saying these self-imposed penalties really, really hurt the program, all that they have to do is point back and say that was, you know, maybe the best two years back to back that you've had in a couple of decades. So we're probably going to have to hit you a little harder. Tennessee may be, you know, that, that may not be fair to Tennessee because maybe you just got the right coach and the right quarterback and all that at one time, but it'll be harder to make that case. And that's another reason why I think if it does come down to scholarships, uh, 
scholarship cuts, and the NCAA is going to have a, a decent uh, a decent case to say we need to hit you with some more. Maybe Tennessee should have suggested that it would be willing to vacate not just the wins under Jeremy Pruitt, but the entire era as though <laughs> it never happened. He was never here. It, it, they'll just be. They'll leave those years out of the press, uh, the media guide. They just won't be there. 18, 19, and 20 uh, just said uh, vacated each year, vacated. And maybe like a, like a black silhouette where his mugshot <laughs> was. Yeah. Is that what we're thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure they would love to do that. And uh, to some degree, they, they got that in motion whenever they fired I, him for cause. And if we if I speculated like a second or third level to this, I wonder what the threshold of scholarship numbers is that Tennessee could like what what pill could they swallow if it came down to that? You know, because that actually brings Josh Hoppel into the conversation uh, again, just speculating. But let's say they say, you know, the NCAA is uh, they want to cut uh, Tennessee says we'll cut six scholarships over three years. OK, that's that's two a year. I imagine Josh Hopper would say, fine, let's do it to a year. I can take that. That doesn't matter. Uh, but then if the NCAA counters with, we want you to cut 15 over three years, well, that's five a year. N- now you're getting to the point where it makes a difference in what your record is because you can't go into the portal to get that guy that you need because you don't have a scholarship for him. You can't sign a full class or even close to it because you've got to have these cuts. So I do think there's a threshold of what Tennessee could take and continue to to be at a really competitive level, um, and then there's a there's a threshold that you, that would go beyond that. I, I just think anything short of a of a postseason ban is, I mean, for the situation Tennessee was in, to have a quote unquote stunning amount of malfeasance occur under Jeremy Pruitt, which was Chancellor Dondi Plowman's words whenever she fired him, if they come out of this with anything short of a postseason ban. I mean, I think Tennessee still has to has to feel pretty good about itself. They got rid of uh, a bad coach. They fired him for cause. No buyout, no severance. Um, they nudged Philip Fulmer into quote unquote retirement. Got a smarter athletic director out of the deal. They're off and running under Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, the scholarship reductions would not be great. I think with NIL, it allows you to navigate around some of those scholarship penalties more easily than you could have in the past. I mean, your collective can step up and, uh, you know, ink some deals with some guys that are walk-ons and, and all of a sudden, boom, they're being compensated as if they were a, a scholarship player. So I just think, I mean, to me, if Tennessee, maybe, maybe that's reducing it to, <laughs> to one thing too much, but I think if, if they get passes without a postseason ban, um, you, you take your punishment, whatever it is and, and move on and say, you still feel good about the future under Josh Heupel. And we've already seen, you know, he can navigate around some recruiting restrictions and penalties. We've seen him do it before. I think he can do it again. And I think Tennessee's collective can step up and, uh, and become an asset for, for that program. If they did get a postseason ban, I think the sec would be absolutely up in arms. Uh, I don't know what they could do about that, but uh, I, I think they would be because, Everything we've heard for more than a year now is that we're not going that route anymore. The NCAA has made that case. Um, if they then did that in this instance, um, you know, it, it would it would it would jostle the uh, the landscape quite a bit in college football. 
We'll uh, we'll leave the NCAA behind here in, in the closing segment, and uh, let's get into some some final thoughts here as as we wind down spring practice. Tennessee football uh, having a couple more practices this week. We'll conclude with its spring game on Saturday. Adam will have all the necessary coverage that you would come to expect from a spring game. And uh, I, let, let, let's get the Nico thing off the board, right? We know we, all eyes are going to be on Nico. We can get that out there. We know we're all going to be curious to see how he looks uh, and our first chance to really see him in something resembling live action. So that's off the board. Let's move along. What else beyond Nico are you interested to see uh, on Saturday in the spring game? I want to see how polished the offense is, especially third downs, situational football, as Josh Apple likes to say. They, they've worked a lot in the, the close scrimmages, I know, on what they call their four-minute offense. Um, some people may say, well, the offense is going to be good. It's going to be fine. We saw it in the Orange Bowl. It was, it was good. There's no issue there. But if you remember back to the Orange Bowl, that was like the most punts they had had all season. Uh, we remember that as like, three touchdown passes by Joe Milton and he was the MVP and it must've been a great offensive performance. It actually wasn't. Uh, There were three or four drives that were really good, but the offense was mediocre for a good portion of that game. And after the first scrimmage again, closed Josh Hopple um, said he didn't like what he saw from the offense on third down uh, some three and outs um, that they were not polished in, uh, in two minute and four minute drills. And, to me, I just wonder that that sounds a lot like the worst parts of the Orange Bowl, that they just were not polished uh, on offense. And so I want to see them be polished on offense. There's deficiencies on defense that are going to be there, I think, no matter what this season. But the offense needs to be really good, and they're going to they're going to win if it is. So I want to see them be very polished on offense. The uh, the asterisk there is how how much of the offense is going to be out there because. The wide receivers, some have been hurt. They've been in and out. Jabari Small, the starting running back, has been out all of all of camp or all of spring practice. Brew McCoy's been out at wide receiver. Cooper Mays, or maybe their best offensive lineman at center, has been out for both scrimmages. So if, if those guys are not out there, you'll have an excuse of why it's not polished, but it still needs to be. Yeah, other than quarterbacks, uh, I just don't see any real reason to watch this thing. I just, <laughs> I, I mean, I th- selling those tickets, John. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, Nico's your draw. Uh, he, people want to see him throw the ball. I mean, they just see him throw a few passes. They're saying, because fans can look at a spring game. It's not like you win or lose. You look at a spring game and say, man, did you see that pass he threw on third down early in that scrimmage? And he could have thrown 10 incompletions, but all he has to do is make one good throw, and that's what fans will really focus on and look ahead. Man, I can't believe that pass he made. And with Joe Milton, everybody looks at, you know, the old nickname, overthrow Joe. If he just doesn't overthrow any receivers, people will say, Man, that Joe Milton, you know, he's really got it under control. Now, remember when he used to overthrow receivers? Doesn't happen anymore. We're in great shape. None of the other stuff really matters. So when I I had that front-end caveat, John, of what are you interested in beyond Nico, you immediately thought – well, this nothing. is this is a stupid, worthless conversation because there's 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 nothing else I am interested in, huh? 
Well, other Adam was interested in something else, so that's fine. The, yeah. the, the spring game is definitely a game where newcomers can show their ceiling, how high their ceiling is. Because John's right, you're going to see three or four wild plays by players that fans have not seen before, freshmen or transfers or whatever, and you're going to say, wow, And but it's going to be their ceiling. That's going to be their ceiling. That's going to be them making a great play against third-string players. The floor shows up in the regular season. So enjoy it now. We'll see. I, I mean, Nico's a great, uh, great example. You're going to see some wow throw from him. And that may show up in the season, but he may also throw three picks in a game in the season. Uh, enjoy the ceiling because you'll, you'll you should see it in the spring game. Hey, Blake, I came up with something I, I would like to see. How about Dylan Sampson making an 80-yard touchdown run? He's the third running back, but everybody knows he could be the big playback. A lot of speed. If he makes an 80-yard touchdown run, they will say Dylan Sampson has arrived. He'll get more carries and he'll break a long one against Georgia. Just making sure he is going to play Saturday, right? Sometimes oh. those those running backs are withheld. And Adam oh, sorry. Himself. Samson, no, I think that's right. I'm just checking yes. with Adam. Sanson is playing, yeah, right? I, I think he'll be maybe the starter, actually, uh, yeah, great. At, at running back. Oh. If, 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 if fans out there, our, our loyal listeners, want to hear a second very legitimate football thing to watch, um, I'm not sure if you have an edge rusher right now. You certainly don't have a Byron Young. You have young edge rushers. I'm not sure if you have a proven one yet. You have Miami transfer John Campbell at offensive tackle. Watch John Campbell, the transfer, who you need to play well against those young pass rushers who also need to play well. And and you'll at least see something new that's going to mean something you know, come sep- September, October. All right. Well, since I John reluctantly – uh, offered a swipe of that apple that I threw out there. I, let me let me part with one more question for you guys about about this Saturday spring game. We heard uh, uh, Hugh Freeze last week was among the coaches that said he would gladly swap an inter-squad spring scrimmage, like we've all come to know as the spring game, Tennessee calls it the orange and white game. Uh, he would gladly swap that for an exhibition, a spring exhibition uh, against an opponent. And... Hugh Freeze suggested for Auburn that could be Troy or that could be UAB. I like this idea. Now, I don't think that, you know, it all of a sudden makes this appointment viewing necessarily, but I think it would be more interesting than than an intra-squad scrimmage to play another opponent. So if that were to happen sometime down the road, we have no idea whether it will. I'm skeptical that it will, but we've seen a few coaches come out in support of that. Who would be a good exhibition opponent for Tennessee. I will suggest one, and then I'm curious to see what what you guys have to offer. Um, I'll suggest Memphis. I I don't think it would ever happen, but Tennessee's not going to play a Power 5 opponent in an exhibition. I think if you're trying to put butts in the seats, try to generate a little excitement, I think Tennessee-Memphis would be much more interesting than the current inter-squad spring scrimmage. Tennessee would never agree to that. They would not want to lose to Memphis, risk a loss to Memphis, even in an exhibition. But this is my dream scenario. I'll put Tennessee against Memphis on the field in a spring scrimmage. Who do you guys have? Boy, I mean, I think we're going way outside of reality for that one. Um, If if Hugh can suggest Troy and UAB as a spring opponent for 
for Auburn. Why can't why can't we have one? For yeah, Tennessee? I mean, you went way outside of what I was thinking. I was thinking Tennessee Tech or or Chattanooga. Uh, maybe, uh, see, if maybe, you're gonna play an FCS opponent, I'd say I'd rather just see the inter squad scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, Memphis. I guess you could go to you could play Charlotte, which is uh, well, I think we'll soon be an AAC team. So you could you could do that. I mean, yeah, you're you're trying to sell tickets. I mean, we are in the era now. This year, Tennessee's charging five dollars a head to get in. So absolutely, Memphis would be would be a great one. I, I don't see that ever ever happening. But if you could go, I, I'll go Charlotte just because I'm saying somebody that would travel a few hundred people just to just to see the spectacle. I mean, they would. A few uh, hundred and, people. <laughs> and now, now we're sold. <laughs> five, five or six hundred people from Charlotte. Now, this that's is actually, sounding like a worse and worse idea. I mean, this is why I was thinking Tennessee Tech or or Chattanooga because they they would bring a decent amount of people. And uh, but it's it's just it's I mean it's not going to happen. It's not the the first time anybody did this and there was an injury, they would blame it on the fact that it was too competitive. And I've seen people play inter-squad spring games and have their career ended by an injury. And you would have people say, why don't we play in the spring game? So as soon as anybody got hurt in a competitive spring game, it would be over. And that would happen the first year that it, it occurred. It, it's not going to happen. I'll say Tennessee Tech or Chattanooga. Adam's being way too negative about this. I, I, uh, I think it's an obvious choice as to whom Tennessee should uh, uh, connect with. That would be Vanderbilt. Uh, I know it's they play them during the regular season, but I think it'd give you a, an SEC opponent that you could beat for sure. And you could your last regular season game in, in 2022, you won 56 to nothing. Fans could could determine, well, where do we stand? We beat those guys 56 to nothing when we when we last saw them. Have we gotten any better? Have they gotten any better? So I would go with Vanderbilt. If you want some vanilla play calling, <laughs> play somebody in the, in the spring that you play in the regular season. By the way, and I've, I've heard this a little bit, but this I think this is very realistic. If you did this against a mid-major opponent or an FCS, which I was suggesting, uh, if one guy played really, really well, um, you would see you would see a guy hop into the transfer portal and get picked up by that opponent. That would happen. We saw some some long, lean pass rusher that you didn't know of at UT Chattanooga, and he got to Joe Milton three times and beat your tackle. Uh, that guy would mysteriously pop into the portal two days later and would end up at the, on, on that team. All right, Adam says my idea for a spring scrimmage or a spring exhibition is, is never going to happen. John's not interested in much beyond Nico's performance Saturday. Uh, nonetheless, the spring game as it uh, as it is currently arranged will unfold on Saturday at Neyland Stadium. Uh, we'll have all the coverage over at knoxnews.com. And, of course, Adam will be continuing to monitor the developments in Tennessee's NCAA case. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.